Welcome to today's online workshop and podcast presented by realestateinvestment.training and powered by imedialearning.com. My name is Shane Gillespie from iMedia Learning, and I'm the producer for today's event. Real estate investment.training online workshops, podcasts, and in-person continuing education symposiums educate real estate professionals, investors, and wealth managers through the sharing of best practices on the industry's most important topics and trends. During this event, you're welcome to ask questions using the questions feature in your GoToWebinar menu. Ask at any time, but please note we will address them during our Q&A session at the end of the event. Before we start, we'd like to thank our corporate and member association sponsors, Inland Securities, Seattle Funding Group, NAI Puget Sound Properties, Madrona Financial, Taylor Street Capital Partners, the Commercial Brokers Association, PCIM Institute Washington Chapter, and the Institute of Real Estate Managers for underwriting this event so it can be presented to you free of charge. Joining us today is panel moderator and real estate investment specialist, Derek Doak, CCIM. Joining Derek today, uh, Derek today are panelists Kyle Williams, Vice President of IPX 1031, Robert Spidel, Fidel, who's the Senior Vice President of Inland Securities Corporation, and Nick Smelzer, Financial Advisor, Madrona Financial Services. Derek, I'll turn the event over to you. Great. Thanks, Shane. Welcome, everybody. Um, as many of you know that have been a part of my Millionaire Real Estate Syndication Program, it's all about having a good team. And today, uh, I'm excited to talk about the DST strategy, especially from a broker's perspective of how you can get more listings by understanding what a DST is and a team you can put together for you to do your own DSTs uh, and advise your clients on how they can acquire a DST and take the tax benefits during a 1031 transaction. So uh, I'm looking forward to having these conversations uh, with everybody. So first off, I wanna have uh, each individual uh, here on the panel kind of give a background on who they are and what they do. And then we'll dive into some of the questions. And so we'll go ahead and start with you, Rob, if you don't mind letting everybody out there kind of know who you are and who Inland is and what you do. Yeah, thanks, Derek. Uh, this is Rob Spidel with Inland Real Estate uh, headquartered in Oak Brook, Illinois. We are uh, a provider of real estate and tax planning solutions. And when it comes to the Delaware Statutory Trust, we are the market leader uh, in uh, bringing DSTs to market. And, uh, and, and, and Inland's been doing this for quite some time, if I recall. Uh, correct. Yeah, been in business since 1967, founded by four Chicago public school teachers uh, looking for a way to supplement their income when the kids were away on summer vacation and have turned that into one of the largest privately held uh, real estate uh, firms in the, in the country. Really quite an amazing story. Yes, yes, it is. Um, and Nick, how about yourself? You want to give a little background on yourself and also Madrona Financial? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, I am a financial advisor. I sit on the investment committee uh, here at Madrona and I review um, uh, investment opportunities, uh, DSTs being one of them. Uh, Madrona Financial, uh, owned by uh, Brian Evans, uh, also a CPA. Uh, he has a CPA firm, Bauer Evans, here in Washington. And he just, I guess, woke up one day and said he wanted to be able to help clients on a holistic uh, viewpoint on their taxes as well as their investments. And 20 years later, uh, here we are. That's awesome. Yeah, no. And, and as a full disclosure, I work with Brian personally on my own personal stuff. Um, and then, of course, Nick has helped out some of my clients on the DST front. 
Uh, and so is Rob and so is Kyle. So I want to make sure I get my disclosures out there. Um, Kyle, how about yourself? Give a little background on yourself and uh, what your group does. One, uh, IPX 1031 is the uh, nation's leader in 1031 exchanges. We're the exchange division for Fidelity National Financial. So a qualified intermediary's role is really to hold funds for the duration of the exchange in a safe and secure manner, and then deliver those funds when they're ready to close, which is exactly what we do. Kind of like another layer of escrow. Yeah, and, and it's very key, and we'll get to this later in the, the, the conversation here, but um, you definitely want to have somebody that you work with on a regular basis so they get consistency and then uh, and know how you work. So um, putting your team together, like I talked about at the beginning, you know, have, having the product, having a great advisor, and, uh, and then also having a good QI uh, really makes it go smoother for your client. Um, as we kick off here, Rob, want, uh, you know, can you add a little bit more on kind of what a DST is and kind of how, you know, Inland played uh, a role in that too in helping uh, shape the, the DST uh, as, a, as a product? Sure. And, and DST stands for Delaware Statutory Trust. And really, it was Inland and another sponsor, Pasco, were really the drivers in creating this new structure. A lot of people that are familiar with the securitized 1031 market are going to be familiar with the, the old structure called the tenant in common. And we can go into some of the differences later on. But, you know, Inland saw that there were flaws with that tenant in common structure. And we worked with PASCO through our legal teams, worked with the IRS to create a revenue ruling. That revenue ruling uh, 2004-86 states that fractional ownership interest in a properly created trust will meet the criteria for like-kind exchange, which if you're familiar with 1031, that's really the threshold to be able to do the 1031 in the first place. Both the relinquished and the replacement must be of like-kind. So that revenue ruling 2004-86 was the creation of the Delaware Statutory Trust. And really, ever since then, Inland uh, has been uh, the leading provider of DSTs. From a, from a big picture standpoint, the Delaware Statutory Trust allows investors to enjoy the benefits of owning real estate without the headaches of managing the property, right? Investors in a Delaware Statutory Trust will be active from a real estate investing standpoint, but from a management standpoint, remain purely passive. And... If you're familiar with 1031, you've known all along that the biggest challenge of 1031 exchange is that initial 45-day identification period. And frankly, the DST solves that problem. Uh, we inland purchase properties using our own balance sheet. We structure leases. We secure financing. We package everything. And then we offer that through financial advisors like Nick and Madrona Financial. So by the time it gets in Nick's hands and on the client's desk, everything's been done and it allows people to complete the 1031 exchange on their own timeline. You know, this becomes more and more important. In fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got a call at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday from a commercial broker that I work with in Portland. And he said, Rob, my client's 45th day is today. <laughs> so not leaving much time, uh, but it tells me that they had looked all over the area, probably all over the region for replacement property and couldn't find anything they liked. 
Again, the value of the DST is that we've taken all of the legwork out and we offer that through financial advisors like Nick. I had addresses uh, in the gentleman's email inbox within five minutes of getting off the phone. It, it, it can be that easy with the DST. It really solves that 45-day problem. Yeah, no, I, and, and, and when you and I met uh, a few years back, I mean, that was kind of how we were doing it was we were trying to find and piece together some overages where they found something they liked, but they had excess capital and they didn't know what to do with it. They didn't want to pay any tax on it. So they were trying to find, can I place just a part of it in a DST or an offering from somebody like Inland? So um, yeah, yeah, it definitely from a strategy perspective, totally makes sense. And I think, you know, we've got a webinar here. This will probably be about an hour long. I, I suspect that we will only just scratch the surface uh, of all of the different applications, but there's a lot of flexibility with the structure uh, as far as entry points and minimum investments go. I think the, the main takeaway here, uh, we're only going to be able to scratch the surface of this. And, you know, for, for more questions, certainly uh, have them call Nick or myself or Kyle or, or Derek um, to go through all yeah. the different ways yeah, that it's no. used. And, and, and Rob, I like how you throw out a code section. You know, Nick, Nick, and I got excited when you start throwing out code sections because, uh, <laughs> at, you know, being a former tax, being a former tax guy, you know, when you can sit there and you're doing research in BNA and someone rattles off a code section, you go, oh, that guy knows what they're talking about. Uh, was it Ronald Reagan that said trust but verify? So whenever I'm I'm presenting the DST. <laughs> Um, you know, I want to talk about it, but I also want them to write down that revenue ruling so that they can go back and look and look it up on their own. Yep. Yeah, uh, absolutely. No, and and I, I, before I get to uh, to Nick here on the tax benefit of DST, I mean, I, the the thing about flexibility when we think of a DST and a Delaware Statutory Trust really is that flexibility, mm-hmm. and you can have you know as much debt or you can up more debt if you want to get some depreciation. I mean, there's all different ways to work with your advisor. Um, to make it work for what you're looking to do and take it, take advantage of the tax benefits. But uh, uh, I think the key there, like you said, Rob, is the flexibility and just the various types of product offerings that someone could uh, trade into. So um, I'm going to, Nick, do you mind just touching base a little bit on the tax benefits here uh, of, a, of a 1031 um, and especially using the Delaware statutory trust for that? Uh, definitely. Yeah. So with a, uh, 1031 exchange um, and investing through it with a DST, just like with any other like kind property, you are deferring your capital gains tax um, as well as not being hit with a depreciation recapture. And um, you're potentially setting yourself up for a step up in basis um, as well. Um, We find many clients don't want to sell because they don't want to pay the tax. That is their number one issue. They don't like the property, but they have heard of 1031s and they say, well, I don't like this property. I want to retire. So why would I exchange into another property down the street that I don't want to own because I want to retire? So that's really when 1031s um, come into play. Um, These are depreciating assets, just like all real estate. So you do have uh, depreciation benefits um, that that help shelter, you know, with with the income. Um, and really, we just look at these as uh, a good 401k for landlords. Um, we find many landlords, uh, they don't have any real assets set aside um, for their future or next chapters in their lives because they've just focused and put all their 
equity, their sweat equity into the real estate. So when they hear that there's a, an ability to sell your property, defer the capital gains tax, keep that step up in basis potentially in your back pocket, uh, they just jump um, for the opportunity. Um, now I can talk a little bit uh, about the potential tax law changes or um, uh, proposals um, here, if you'd like me to. Yeah, no, I think uh, yeah, you're on you're on a roll here. So any uh, any tax, we'll, we'll put our tax hats on right now, and then we'll put it away. Yeah, definitely. So uh, right now, uh, in Biden's uh, green book that came out about two, maybe three months ago. Uh, the proposal was to limit uh, DST or 1031 exchanges rather to 500K per property. And that's a million dollars per property for a married couple. Um, one kind of thing in there that's a real jab is it won't be keeping up with inflation. So if you have a $300,000 property and just rising property values and uh, in inflation, then that. 300,000 is going to hit that $500,000 mark, um, you know, rather quickly. Um, the other one that we're still waiting on uh, clarity on is uh, if any change will happen to the step up in basis. Um, right now, I know many sponsors, uh, just like Inland with Rob, uh, they're contacting um, senators and members of Congress, uh, really educating them um, using uh, the, the latest uh, economic data as well as all of the studies um, to educate all of these senators um, that keeping 1031 exchange will actually earn more tax revenue um, for the government than eliminating. Uh, if you were to eliminate the uh, 1031 exchanges, then no one's going to sell. Just like what I mentioned earlier, clients don't want to sell because they don't want to pay the tax. Now they're going to be opting to pay the tax and they just won't sell. Yeah. Now, when you said the million dollar or 500,000 for individual million per couple, is that on the actual taxable gain? Uh, no. So uh, that, that will just be on the, the sale um, of the property. Okay. Um, exactly. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah. And, and I know when, when you're talking, when you're talking about a, a transaction in an example of these transactions, what I have found, especially on the D, uh, the DST side, is the clients that are kind of at that phase where they're tired of managing it. Nobody in the family wants to run it, but they don't want to pay the tax on it. And I think one of the taxes that a lot of people don't understand is that capital recapture or depreciation recapture um, that you're paying, you know, 25%. Um, on that depreciation that you took advantages of. So when you're a property owner, you get all that, you get all excited offsetting some of your W-2 income by depreciation off of a real estate asset. But when the time does come and you sell that, you got to then pay that back of those benefits you got um, and pay the taxes on it. And I don't think people take that into consideration when they look at, should I sell or don't sell? The, uh, the other, the yeah, other sorry. part of the, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Nick. Did you say something? Uh, yeah, no, and that's really one of the one of the things I, I we find a, a lot of people um, uh, they they don't take advantage of, of many things like that. One other piece that we find that clients might not be aware of is their uh, um, suspended losses um, that can also uh, come into play. 
Um, let's say you have, we have one client who sold his property for uh, $3 million and uh, his CPA found that he had a $75,000 uh, suspended loss. Um, so at the time of the sale, at the time of the uh, taxable event, um, he took 75 out of the exchange. Uh, his, he's going to, when his CPA does the accounting, he's going to see that there's a $75,000 boot, which is capital gain. And then that, uh, suspended loss is going to cancel it out. So it's 75,000 right in his pocket. Couldn't be happier. Yeah, no, there's, this is, this is a, this is key for anybody who's looking at doing some strategy or helping their client strategize around their real estate is really get an advisor and a CPA, um, which is, and I'll put my plug in here for Madrona. One of the reasons why I like working with Madrona is they have a CPA and a tax mindset first, and then they look at the vehicle second. So it's, it's uh, you know, tax advantage uh, planning, which I can't say is done by all financial advisors out there. Um, when, when you look at a project, and, and Kyle, I want to come to you and with this, when should somebody reach out to you? When should somebody, if they're thinking about doing a 1031, when do they actually get the QI involved and start that process? Yeah, good question. Uh, ultimately, the exchange has to be set up before closing. But what does that mean? It means that uh, once they're under contract, uh, you know, both parties have agreed to, uh, you know, a sale and a purchase, um, then the exchange needs to be set up at that point. It's definitely got to be done with as busy as things are right now for everyone in the real estate world. I'd say at least a week before the closing of the sale. That being said, uh, you know, clients are always free to reach out to us uh, at any point in the process, the sooner the better. That way, you know, even if they haven't even listed their property yet, they still at least need to get an idea of how it works, what they need to look for, start targeting new properties, et cetera, et cetera. So the earlier in the process, the better, but ultimately they need to have everything set up in advance of closing on their sale. Okay. And, and if I recall, there's no fee until there's actually a transaction. Correct. Yep. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so our fee comes out uh, after closing. That being said, we have a cancellation fee uh, if clients cancel before the sale, but we would rarely ever charge it. Um, but yeah, generally fees are taken out after they closed on their sale. Okay. Yeah, I just want to make sure people aren't afraid to reach out to you earlier than later. Oh, yeah. You know, nothing worse than waiting until the last minute. Absolutely, yeah, and clients can definitely start the process and ask questions, and we will not bill them for that. Okay. Um, I think I want to talk a little bit about some strategies, you know, like key strategies that you've seen out there in the marketplace, and I'm going to start with you, Rob. Um, when you think of a strategy and things that you're seeing, and remember, we have two different audiences that, that typically listen to uh, this recording and that, that, that listen to the podcast. And that's one, which is uh, brokers, commercial brokers and agents that work with investment property owners. And the other is the actual investment property owner themselves. Um, so when you think of a strategy and some of the things you're seeing of late, what kind of strategies come to mind as it relates to using and taking advantage of the, the DST? Yeah, great question. And, and, and really, I'm going to go back uh, to what Nick said, because Nick, kind of uh, answered this question. I'll just expand on it a little bit more. 
you know, in the in the entire world of 1031 exchange, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars a year. The DST industry will probably be about five billion this year. So, uh, in in the in the 1031 world, DSTs are really very small. And I'm guessing 99% of of the people out there, despite our best efforts, uh, have never heard of the DST. And I think for property owners. Uh, and I think for the realtors and brokers, you know, the, the task that Nick and I have is to provide education because I think once people understand what the DST is and what it can do for them, for the property owners that are out there, this may be the catalyst for them to sell that property, right? I, Nick said it earlier, they're looking for a reason to sell, uh, whether it's political with the moratoriums in in, uh, in California and Oregon and Washington, uh, you know, maybe they're just tired of the environment and they want to exit out of the Northwest. Well, they're looking for a reason to sell, but they don't want to pay the tax and they don't want to exchange into another property. They don't want to trade one set of headaches for another. So the task that Nick and I have is really providing education uh, on the Delaware Statutory Trust because that may be the reason that they sell and, and the benefit for the brokers out there is they probably have five or 10 or 15 clients that they have been trying to get them to move for years and they won't because they haven't solved the problem uh, of the clients wanting to be passive. And again, I think from, from their standpoint, education and knowledge of the DST can help unlock a listing that they may not have gotten in the past. Yeah. No, and, and and in my in my own situation, when I was looking at it, it really had to do with a client at that age where they just wanted to do something different. They don't want to manage anymore. And mm-hmm. my role has always been showing owners what their return on equity is, not their return on investment. And that's where some of the owners get a little confused as they look at what they bought it for. And, and they go, oh, here's my return. I'm, I'm actually doing really well. But they're not really looking at how much pent-up equity is in that asset. And case in point, the last one we worked on, you know, the, the owner had a property that was only renting for a couple thousand dollars a month, and the property's worth over $3 million. Mm-hmm. So the return on equity was so small, less than 1%, that they could roll it into five different properties across the country in states that didn't have a state income tax. And uh, and then continue to get the distributions, and they quadrupled their distribution on a monthly basis. That they got their wire every single month. I mean, it's a it's a beautiful thing when you understand it, and it's a great way to take advantage of the tax laws and increase your cash flow, decrease your time, decrease your risk, and just get a holding in an investment grade asset. I mean, it's it's a uh, um, the other the other thing is what I really liked about it is I'm a syndicator. When I syndicate a deal, I usually get 30 to 50% of the upside. Whereas when you go in and do uh, look at the sponsors that do these DSTs, you as the investor are getting between, you know, 96 and 98, 99% of the upside. Yeah. There isn't that back in, you know, carry that most sponsors that do private syndications get. So that's something that somebody has to consider when they're looking at doing the investment as well. I want to go back to something you just said, which was the the, the time issue. Um, every situation, of course, is going to be unique, but I would say 95% of the time when I'm invited to meet with a financial advisor and client, these are clients that have purchased investment properties in their 
20s and 30s. Now they're in their 70s, 80s, 90s, and they're tired of the headaches of managing the property. You know, in situations like that, I really refer to the DST as a lifestyle choice for them. Right. Anybody that has ever owned an investment property is familiar with what we call the terrible P's, toilets and tenants and trash and taxes. And oftentimes solving the problem is just, hey, they don't want to deal with with the active management anymore. And, and so appealing to them from a lifestyle choice really, uh, really plays well, because uh, a lot of times the, the wife wants her husband back. The wife doesn't want the, the husband up on the roof or, you know, <laughs> fixing things all the time. She wants him back. She wants to travel. They want to go visit the grandkids. And I think, you know, that's another application where the DST can can solve that problem and, and really focusing on a, on a yeah. lifestyle change for them. Yeah. Well, and when you look at residential right now, where some of these rental properties are worth so much more than what they're renting for, and they can roll that into, you know, a large apartment complex in Arizona or, or Florida or, you know, other areas, Texas, where it could be a self-storage facility in the Midwest. I mean, there's all kinds of things they can roll that into, to your point, and have the lifestyle and take advantage of the market where it's at. So, um uh, one of the things I want to I want to uh, ask you, Nick, or maybe you can expand on this too. The one thing for me, as I was always kind of looking at from the accounting perspective, you know, how do I deal with this now that I've invested in? I'm just a small shareholder in this huge asset, and I'm getting my distribution. Um, I'm just filing my Schedule E like I have with the rental house, putting it on my Schedule E, and I get a report. I mean, how, how does that all work? Yeah, no, certainly. Um, you know, this is, uh, they're a little bit more uh, complex than, um, you know, regular mom and pop doing. So whenever a client tells us that they do their own taxes, we always, you know, recommend them uh, to uh, contact or, or, or enlist one of our CPAs at Bauer Evans. Um, because instead of getting income from one state, uh, now they're potentially getting income from multiple states. Um, so that's always, that's always key. I always like to mention that. Um, but yeah, you're, you're just getting a, a 1099, um, comes from the, the DSTs. Um, you know, there might be, uh, uh filing requirements on, on tax on income earned. Uh, we live in Washington and, and at least for now we have a, uh, you know, no state income tax, but if you're going to be in, you know, Georgia or, or Tennessee, well, not Tennessee of Georgia, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina areas, Arizona, um, you know, you might be subject to uh, uh, taxable income. Um, so that's that's always that's going to be one of the bigger changes, uh, except for the the size of uh, time it's going to take you to, to actually file your taxes. But you're just getting a, a sub 1099 um, as easy as as easy as it can. And then and then you'll get your pro rata share financial statement, right? That you just put on your Schedule E. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, and and uh, and so that 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 makes it uh, makes it makes it a little easier, um, you know, for 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 sure to be able to kind of just do it that way versus having to set up a whole you know S corp and all those types of things in order to in order to run it through. Um, maybe maybe uh, uh, Nick or Rob can give a background or some information on what if somebody has multiple partners and they do a ten thirty one. Can they can they can they take, keep the same LLC or the same group together and, and buy multiple different offerings and maybe designate that for each individual or is there is there a strategy there? Uh, yeah, and, I, I and, that one. So um, and many times we do have uh, 
uh, people in LLCs, one member wants to do one thing, the other member wants to do the other. When you're doing a, a DST, all members, and really 1031, all members have to decide to do the same thing. Um, there are potential uh, tenant common uh, strategies that you can do that are very common, uh, especially with partnerships. Um, that is really, um, you know, making the change of the ownership prior to the sale of 1031. You always want to uh, uh, contact your, your CPA and, and see if there's any, um, you know, potential audit risk there. Um, Kyle Williams, uh, I, I know his office has answered a lot of those questions um, for our clients is, um, and I'm sure others um, to see what is the best strategy of maybe dropping it out of the current entity and putting it into another. But um, with being a title for title exchange, which is the most simple edification of a 1031 exchange, whoever's on the title on the property that was sold needs to be on the paperwork um, for the DST um, when, it, when it's purchased. And, and, and Kyle, what is the paperwork like? for doing something like this when you're doing when as I'm what is it really paper intensive for the 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 group or is it pretty straightforward I don't know if Kyle's on mute yeah it isn't paper intensive at all really everything is done via DocuSign but yeah a lot of people say you know this exchange sounds complicated and you know I'm already going to be spending three hours down at the escrow office sign until my hand hurts. I don't want to do this all over again with you. And it's like, it's not really like that. The client's DocuSign an exchange agreement. It's really straightforward. Uh, and then that's it. And then ultimately they'll let us know when they sign, uh, find new property. They'll sign a disbursement form for us to wire funds. So it's all super, super easy to do an exchange. And, and maybe hit the, maybe hit the rules again, you know, the 45 day and how many days you have, you know, to uh, do the exchange. <laughs> Yeah, ultimately, uh, and, you know, Rob was alluding to this earlier, is that, you know, you have a tight time frame to find new properties in a 1031 exchange. You have 45 days from the time you close on your sale to identify, which means let us know in writing what you intend on purchasing, and ultimately 180 days to close on what you've identified. So, yeah, 45 days in this market is like, you know, a week in any other market. So everything is moving super quickly. So yeah, clients can really look at a couple different options here. One is, um, you know, in a seller's market, you're obviously selling and buying in an exchange, do a longer close on the sale, do like a 60 day close, close on or before, you know, October 15th. That way, if you can, if you can get something done early, you know, that's great. But if you're still looking for new property, um, you'll, you know, you'll have up until October 15th plus the 45 days after that to find new property. And then ultimately, um, if you need to close quickly on your sale and you don't have that luxury, you got an offer you couldn't refuse, whatever the case is, yeah, then DSTs can make a great, um, if they're not your first option and they are for many people, at a minimum, they should be a backup. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's one of the strategies I always talk about with sellers that uh, are looking to do a 1031, they might have identified one property that they really want. I always let them know you need to have a backup as it relates to DST. I use DST as kind of a backstop because yep. what happens is you get into this whole retrade, right? You'll get somebody yep. on the other side who's buying this property and they know you're in a 1031 situation. They may wait up to the very end and then pull a fast one on you and say, you know, I just noticed that the reports came back. We need, 
we need to do a little more work to the parking lot or we need to do some siding or some structural issues I may want to look into. So I want to reduce the price by 250 and the seller can turn around and say, I've already got something else identified. So it really doesn't matter to me. I've already, if you don't want to take the deal, then I'll just go over here and do my DST. So um, it's a good way to help give yourself a backstop and give yourself some protection for some retrade. Yep. Um, now, now the big, the big question that everyone I'm sure is wondering, or one of them anyhow, is are the 1031s going to go away? Right. I know Rob, you mentioned a little bit about it, and Nick, you mentioned a little bit about it as well. Uh, I'd be curious what you guys are hearing internally because you guys all subscribe to some you know great information sources um, and just kind of seeing what are people talking, what's the rumor mill out there on will 1031s go away or not. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and start with you, Kyle. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, we had a, our, our team at IPX had a conference call with a sitting U.S. congressman uh, a few months back, and, you know, he wasn't even sure himself what the future was for 1031s. And really, at the end of the day, you know, we're not sure that even the, the current, the Biden administration knows what will pass and what won't. There's nothing currently in any bills. Um, but that being said, it's a very fluid situation and definitely um, a threat at this point. So, you know, it, it's tough to say how this is all going to play out. But, um, yeah, it, it's definitely a threat. But we're keeping our fingers crossed and doing what we can, writing our congresspeople and doing what we can to prevent anything from happening to 1031s. Yeah, no, I, I, I just feel like it's such a staple in so many households um, and generational wealth that has been created um, and, the, and, and doing the 1031s. It, it, I, yep. I, I'd have a hard time believing it's just totally going to go away. Yep. Uh, I'll, I'll go over to you on this one too, Nick. I mean, you know, what do, what do you see? Is the AICPA come out with anything? I mean, are you seeing any, any regs or anything being talked about? Um, no, again, nothing, uh, nothing crystal clear, uh, kind of the limitation of 500 K and, and 1 million is a, a lot of all, all we've had nothing in bills yet. Um, you know, based on what we've seen, um, with, with potentials looks like, uh, you know, the white house or might just throw everything at the kitchen and see what sticks. Um, yeah. it's very hard to say. Um, I had, I was actually on a call yesterday with one of the bigger, uh, DST sponsors. And, uh, their owner was, uh, really just saying, um, they're, they're trying to position it as this is a, a tax that will, that will help, help hurt the elderly. Um, and because they're the ones that are retiring, they're the ones that own prime, the most rental real estate. Um, and then one that uh, also is the message of how many jobs are going to be lost or impacted um, because of this. Uh, you have the qualified intermediaries, uh, plumbers, uh, carpenters, uh, uh, landscapers, appraisers. Uh, ev everyone is involved um, with the sale of property. There are at least 10 to 20 different jobs that are created when there is one sale. Um, of a property and there's taxable revenue on all those people because they're all earning income for doing that. So yeah. it's definitely hard to say um, it's something that we are watching um, very closely. 
Um, but yeah, that's a, it's, 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 it's too, too much of a dancing around that, that answer. I wish I had a, a direct. No, no, no. no, no I, I, and you brought up a very interesting point that I haven't really thought about. I know like when I acquire a piece of property, the first thing I do is spend money on it. And when I think about all the clients that I've worked with, it's kind of the same thing, right? You buy it with the anticipation of updating it, repositioning it, something else. You are putting money back into the economy uh, versus just something that you're sitting on and operating. Um, so that totally makes sense. And, and Rob, I'm going to, I'm going to change gears on you and not, not give you that same question. And one thing I noticed that we haven't talked about was just examples of the type of assets that are in a DST, right? Whether it's self-storage, multifamily, maybe some of the things that Inland's done prior of what type of assets uh, would be uh, would be good information. Sure. I, I think, again, the value that the DST can, can provide is just another layer of diversification. We talked about the lower entry points, but, you know, if somebody sells a property for a million dollars working with Nick and Madrona, I mean, they can put 200,000 into five different DSTs and diversify by sponsor, diversify by sector, diversify by uh, tenant, diversify across the country. And, and think about what they've done. Maybe they've taken one uh, single family rental property in Bellevue, Washington, and have turned that into maybe five or 10 different properties uh, across the country and just really enhance that level of diversification. I, I think you're going to find institutional quality properties, whether that's class A, class B, multifamily apartment properties, where maybe we take one or you know as many as three or four uh, multifamily properties packaged in one DST. Maybe another DST will be uh, 11 self-storage properties. Uh, another DST could be an Amazon distribution facility. Uh, another DST could be a portfolio of net lease grocery stores. Um, yeah, I mean, all, all types of, uh, of properties, different sectors. Yeah, no, that's, and that, I think that's what's really key is how you can trade up into an asset class type and, you know, a grade A apartment building in, in Texas or a grade A apartment building in Florida or, um, that the, the uh, um, uh, self-storage facilities that were in the Midwest. I mean, some of the things that I've seen come across that are obviously already fully subscribed over the years um, that Inland has done are just put you on the map of, of just trading up your asset and uh, having a really great holding being ran by institutional grade asset and property managers. And, right. and the other, I think the other key too, and I didn't mention this earlier, is that you're not liable for the debt. So some people get a little concerned, like, wait a minute, do I got to take on that debt? Am I personally responsible for that? And, uh, and, uh, and the answer is, uh, is no. And maybe, maybe talk a little bit about that, Rob, on that structure, like the, uh, the financing structure that goes into uh, a typical uh, project. Yeah. And, and this was really, uh, part of the rationale for the creation of the DST uh, compared with the older structure called the tenant in common, where, you know, you had 35 investors uh, in a property, uh, but each investor in a tenant in common had to be underwritten by the lender at multiple levels, local, state, and federal. And because every investor in a tenant in common was responsible for their portion of the debt, every investor in a tenant in common had full control. And therefore, you would need 
unanimous consent from all 35 investors in order to make any material decisions on the property. And so with the DST, the debt is there for matching purposes. It's it's secured by, uh, in our case, by Inland. Uh, we're responsible for making the debt service payments, but the investor doesn't have to go through the underwriting process. It is there for matching purposes. They can take on more debt if they want to. Uh, part of Inland's practice is we always try to have a full menu of options different sectors uh, of, of commercial real estate, but also different levels of debt, whether it's an all cash offering with zero debt, whether it's uh, you know, two or three, 40 to 60% loan to value, or uh, you know, one in the 80 plus range, uh, we always try to have an offering available for all types of exchanges. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And that's and that's one of the things when I'm going out on a listing appointment or I'm 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 past the I'm at the final sign off with somebody letting me sell their asset. I usually try to get somebody involved, like with Brian, to get on a call with that client and talk about those options. Um, so anybody listening, as you think of a strategy as a broker or an agent, you know, the sooner you can get somebody like Nick on the phone to 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 talk with your client about the value of the DST and and uh, and the options that are out there, it will help you and it could set you apart and get the listing uh, versus somebody else. So it's something to keep in mind on a strategy. Um, any, anything, I don't, I, that's really the topics I, I had to cover on my notes here. I was trying to think if there's anything else that has come to mind. If, if uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and start with you, Kyle, if there's something kind of a, uh, parting words, if you will, if there's something that we haven't covered or something you feel that needs uh, uh, some more emphasis, you know, uh, please, uh, please speak up. Yeah. So one thing that I, I can't emphasize enough is that clients need to start the planning process sooner than ever. Now um, in the old days, you know, when the market was, was, was moving at a normal pace, it's like clients could kind of wait take their time, find a new property, and then almost play it by ear. But now they need to have everything, you know, the entire planning process lined up in advance, what they'd like to purchase, backup options, stuff like that, to make sure that everything goes smoothly. Because if they're scrambling at the last minute in this market, it's going to be chaos. So, yeah, work with the professionals, get a hold of them, work with them as soon as you can in the process. Yeah, great point. Great point. How about you, Nick? Uh, anything that you'd like to reemphasize, talk about, or something that we didn't discuss that we can bring up now? Uh, yeah, I, I really think the the planning um, is huge on this. One thing I wish I had uh, mentioned when it came to the uh, the bed the benefits um, on it is uh, really the estate planning on purposes uh, of doing a, a a DST is how easy they are to transfer. Um, we find a good amount of clients, especially older age, they have a couple kids, um, and those kids just don't get along for whatever reason, or just aren't interested in owning mom and dad's real estate. Um, so this way, instead of putting into a, just leaving the property up in the will and not separate it all and let them all bicker and uh, figure out what's going on, uh, you can put it into the, the, with the DST, falls right at their will, separate 50-50, one-third, whichever, uh, separation and uh, at the time of close, the kids hold on to it until the the or time of death rather. Uh, the kids hold on to it until the close of the DST, and um, then they get that step up in basis, and they are just uh, happy as ever uh, and thankful that 
mom, dad uh, didn't leave them with a bunch of real estate they don't know uh, how to use. Um, that that is that is one other benefit um, that playing with using a DST um, allows, and our, our clients love it. Yeah, you know it's interesting you mentioned that because I, I I just reflected back on a conversation a strategy call that I had with a client who had three siblings and it was some like multifamily, some don't, some like self-storage, some don't, someone in office, some don't. So it was like, okay, here's the amount that's going to be investable. And they articulated what each one wanted to have going into it. So then that was the part that we went into the will of so-and-so got this interest. So-and-so got this interest and so on. Um, so there was no confusion on who got which assets. Um, I'm going to, how about, how about you, Rob? I mean, uh, obviously, uh, you've got a lot to share. And if anybody hasn't listened to the podcast that Rob and I did, we did one a while back when we came out of a conference and just, uh, was sitting outside and, and, and talking about DSTs. Um, what do you think, or what would you like to add here at the at the closing statement of what to emphasize, what people might want to consider, um, and kind of the final thoughts, if you will? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on what Kyle said. I think this all becomes easier the the farther in advance you start this process, right? I, I told the story earlier about getting the call on the 45th day, and and that's not uncommon. I'm sure Nick can test for that as well, that we get a lot of calls on the 43rd, 44th, 45th day. The problem can be we're seeing so much demand for the Delaware Statutory Trust that, you know, in a, you know, two years ago, a DST could have a two to three month shelf life. Now you're looking at about four weeks, four to six weeks. So um, it's certainly possible that, you know, if we get a call on the 45th day, there might not be much product out, much DST product out there at all. And I think the earlier you start this process that you get in touch with Kyle, you get in touch with Nick, you get in touch with, with myself, you know, we can give folks an idea of what we have available, what may be coming down the pipeline. But if, if you're, if you're calling us on the 45th day, nine times out of 10, we can save the day, but we'd all prefer that, you know, this process is, this planning process is started, you know, in advance. Yeah, no, I, that, that's why I have a team, right? I mean, that's kind of my final statement here is you build your team early before you actually need the team. And, uh, and, uh, and so I would, I, I would encourage everyone to kind of build their team who they want to have, you know, and, and with Rob, Nick and Kyle, you know, I know my clients are taken care of. Uh, they've always got me covered as well. And they keep me in the loop on all the deals that we're working on. Um, so I would encourage anybody who is on the broker side or agent side, uh, to reach out and just kind of put your team in place so you can have those conversations. And if you're an investor and own real estate and you're thinking of getting into a DST, I mean, it, it does not hurt to just reach out and have a conversation with Nick um, around what's out there, what's available, uh, and then get a small little strategy going uh, as you start to think about it. So um, with that, I want to thank you all for being a part of it. I'm going to pass it back to Shane and uh, let, let Shane do his closing statement. Sorry about Maybe that. I'm not passing it back to Shane. No, he passed it back to Shane. Shane just had his mute on. <laughs> I was entrenched in the discussion. Okay. 
Uh, please remember, everyone can register for upcoming events and access past presentation archives at www.realestateinvestment.training. On behalf of Derek, Kyle, Robert, Nick, Inland Securities, Seattle Funding Group, NAI, Puget Sound Properties, Madrona Financial, Taylor Street Capital Partners, the Commercial Brokers Association, CCIM Institute of Washington Chapter, and the Institute of Real Estate Managers, we thank you all for your participation today, and we look forward to seeing you at our next event. Thank you, everyone. Thanks. Thank you.